This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Supreme Resort Land V World, a podcast about Disneyland and Walt Disney World and which is the Supreme Resort. Each episode, we will discuss and explore each resort ride by ride, land by land, park by park, and determine which is better. I'm your host, Jimmy, and thank you for joining me on this quest to help the greater good of humanity answer this long, elusive question, which is better, Disneyland or Walt Disney World? And joining me to help find this answer is from Dan Hates the Beatles, Dan. Hi, I'm Dan. I hate the Beatles, but I love bettering humanity. Also scraping the vault. It's a fine show. You should listen to that. And I from. I will. Thank you. You should. It's <laughs> you're on it and you're what? great. You're great. Well, thank you. It's good to know. <laughs> I, from, like, I got, got nervous when I found out it was on it. <laughs> and from concierge is Eric. Hey, um, I'm from Concierge, and I also like buttering humanity. <laughs> Did I say Hot butter? Buttered humanity. No, no, you said <laughs> no, but that was the first thing that popped into my head. I I don't know why cannibalism came to my head first. <laughs> mm, buttering humanity. <laughs> um, and a special guest, ladies and gentlemen, you know him from Ears Up Podcast, and your local. Uh, churro stand. <laughs> Please help me welcome Mr. Terrence. Terrence, Yo, up. hey guys, hey. and I also like butter. Is, is that what we're saying Ooh. now? You like, oh, like yeah, butter? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is butter talk. <laughs> I love butter on humanity. How do we feel mm. about margarine <laughs> and cinnamon and sugar naturally? Uh, so oh, yeah. welcome, um, welcome, Terrence. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I have questions for you. Oh, okay, good. Let's just jump right in then. All right. Let's do it. So question number one, uh, we we asked Jason when he was on, we asked him this question, which was, how did this show, Ears Up, evolve? So your involvement was from the very beginning, yes? Yeah, I was uh, part of the uh, the actual process from, hey, we should do a podcast, but that's a dumb idea, to, hey, we should actually do a podcast. Um mm. And I don't know if Jason has mentioned this, and it's and and I'm glad it didn't happen this way. But the initial thought was it just was just going to be the two of us, right? Mm-hmm. He did and mention. we, yeah, we happened to talk about it. I think we were talking about it over a beer, and um, his girlfriend uh, at the time, now wife, Taryn, was mm. like, "Yeah, we sh- we should do that." And I yeah, remember right? looking at Jason and like, "Is this a meeting? <laughs> like, what's yeah. going on?" <laughs> Yeah, he did. I think he actually did tell that story when he was on, but I don't know if that was off or on mic. But yeah, that's so. So what was the idea that the original idea was it? It's going to be a Disneyland podcast and it's going to be about what? It was going to and it's going to be 15 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Number one, 15 minutes long. Number two, uh, it was just going to be tips and tricks about what to do at the park. So Mm. um, us not really thinking it through. Mm -hmm. That's like like what 12 episodes if you're doing dca and and um yeah, disneyland totally, but hey yeah. this is what you do if you're in Adventureland. all right so 
you know, after three months, the show would be over. And it kind of evolved into what it is now where we're talking about all things Disney, anything Disney adjacent mm-hmm. we're talking uh, about at this point. Right. Um, and, and I got to say that the addition of Beverly was somewhat genius. She's, she's a lot of fun. She could give zero Fs about anything, <laughs> and, um, but she adds a lot of color to the show. Yeah. Um, what is your relationship with Beverly? Beverly, um, I, she won't hear this probably. So I'll say no, this. Beverly right. is probably my favorite person in the world outside of my immediate family. Wow. Uh, she, yeah, she and I, so I, uh, started playing music with, uh, with her husband, Sam, mm-hmm. uh, goodness gracious, 19, 18, 19 years ago. Um, and he introduced me to his new girlfriend, Beverly, and we have been thick as leaves ever since then. You know, our families go on vacation together. Wow. Uh, you know, Sam, her husband, Sam is, uh, just absolutely an, an amazing guy. He's, he's, he's probably my best friend. Uh, wow. but I like Beverly more. Um, but yeah, she's, she's just a <laughs> really, will hear this. Yeah, I know, but just a really, really, really good friend, you know, it's, uh, just, yeah. And so, um, I don't, I actually don't know how she got roped into it because she was anti at first because she likes Disneyland, but every picture you see of her in Disneyland, she has, uh, the typical Beverly, uh, scowl on her face because the RBF. Yeah, for like that's just BF. It's not even R at that point. It's not even resting. But um, but she was a um, she was a chat moderator on a uh, a beer show that we were all right. involved Brewing in. Brewing Network, the Brewing Network. Yeah, so the session, and so she was uh, brought in to be a chat moderator, and then somehow she found out that the microphone in front of her worked, and then we can't shut mm-hmm. her up. So it is what it is. Yeah, she's funny, right? She she, she adds a lot of great humor and uh, a great personality on the show. Uh, last question, because we got to get to our topic, is can you give me the one thing or series of things where you went from liking Disneyland to having passion and love for Disneyland? Ooh, man. So I've been going to Disneyland um, since I was born. I'm from L.A. originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents moved me up here when I was three or four. Uh, because we, we lived in Compton, so I'm not going to yeah, keep your going family with that. Killed, killed Tupac. We got that. Yeah, yeah we, yes, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, but we went back to LA all the time cause my family lived there and I, I would say I was probably 12, um, when I went from being like, oh, Disneyland's kind of cool to like, oh man, this place is dope. Um, and it was when I finally got over my fear of the haunted mansion. Mm. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't go in there forever. And I went in there and I was like, dude, that is, that's it. Like this. And so at that point, I started looking at the, uh, the work behind the ride. So instead of right. just being, um, immersed into, uh, you know what they're trying to do in the queue i'm trying to say okay well this is what's happening let me try to figure out why that's happening right and that is when my passion went to another level and then my passion went to the okay this is amazing when my wife and i went on our first date mm. ever was to was at disneyland that's when we decided we were dating so that's great that, yeah, yeah. It does. It brings people together because when you have when you have a sim- similar story with me, you have this mutual admiration for a thing, and you experience it together, and you start to learn some of those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a unifier for sure. Um, now, uh, the yeah, so I mean, this to your point, you've come to the right place because our show, as you know, is predominantly about how things work and the yes. behind the scenes and origins, and this 
episode is no different. But before we get there, I want to share that I had a recent trip to Walt Disney World. This is my COVID-19 pandemic adventure. I have a very extensive blog that will be on the Ears Up podcast website. It was amazing. So it's called A Taste of Walt Disney World because, first of all, we were there for the Food and Wine Festival. It was called A Taste of Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival. And being there felt like it was just a taste of Disney World. There's no parades. There's no shows. There's no Half the shops are closed. No outdoor vending. And there's no pre-show. You're just walking through sort of six feet at a time through the, the, the stretching room of a haunted mansion, but it's just acting as cue. So there's just, it's like, this is what Disneyland is or Disney world is like, you know, you get the taste of it, but if this is your first time, you look around like, what the hell is this? What am I doing here? Um, so anyway, if you want to read 40 pages on what I think about that trip, you're welcome to go to yours up podcast. There you go. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the. I think the 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 shrinking bit there. Sorry, I'm I'm totally discombobulated here. Mm-hmm. It, it blew my mind. Right. That <laughs> like that's not actually operating. Like they couldn't. I get. I guess that's that's Too something you have to understand. Right. People are going to crowd together. It's a small room. Even if you let three people go through at a time, that line's never moving again. Right. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And, and what just struck me now is that you couldn't as as so my sister-in-law in-law half sister-in-law <laughs> works for <laughs> Disneyland, she and her husband. And I asked them about when they're going to open. She's currently furloughed and she said they always follow what Disney World does, which is really surprising to me that Disney World sets the tone and then Disneyland follows. Um so thinking about that and watching going through this experience at Disney World and like how would they do that at Disneyland? You couldn't do that in the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland because it's an elevator. It's actually an elevator, elevator. yeah. Yeah, you put a little staircase down with some yeah. spooky noises, like a some hole. cast members in the corner going, Ooh. yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get back to our guest. So um, <laughs> we have uh, we have a special segment before we get into the show called Dan's Mailbag of Mail. That's and right. Wanted to include you, Terrence, because he's going to ask questions, and we want to have your, your feedback. I think Dan, take it away. Okay. Well, uh, this is. I'm still figuring out how to introduce this, so it needs a, it needs a theme song. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there here we go. Is. It's Dan's mailbag of mail. Um, so, assuming you are a death row prisoner and there's no COVID restrictions, this is written in by. Uh, uh, listener, what would you select as your last meal in each of the parks? Ooh. Stated differently, what is the best meal restaurant in each place? Terrence, I'll let you take that one. Man, okay, so party? Oh, okay, no, I'm here. Oh no, I'm here, baby. I was just thinking. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, so uh, just no no drinks involved, just food. Oh, you uh, can have drinks. It's, I think it's death row rules. You last can kind upper. of just it's your yeah, last whatever. Meal, yeah. All right. I want. Um, I'm, let's make it a dozen um, Carthay Manhattans. Ooh. And yeah. um, then I'll probably take the uh, firecracker duck wings with that as well from Carthay. Mm. Nice. It's a good answer. Good answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Big bucks, no whammies. <laughs> uh, Dan, how about you? Um, well, okay. If this is an actual death row situation, then I have some. Uh, there's a, there's a twist I want to put on it. Um, definitely Monte Cristo, 100% mm. Monte Cristo, mm. uh, uh, blue Bayou style. 
I'm sitting yep. by the water. I, I'm, this is the most basic thing, but that's, that's, that's what I'm going for. Uh, gonna slurp up some mint julep, even though they're terrible. They're terrible mm-hmm. in such a delicious way. And, um, let's see. I would drink some of the water from Pirates of the Caribbean because if you're gonna uh, go, yeah, why not? You know, it's time. Yeah. 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 And then I I would insist on iced, a a big quantity of iced Rivers of America water, because again, why not? And to ensure that when I was electrocuted, it would be the most disgusting process possible. I would add to that, (laughs) like as many crab cakes as I can eat, because I get horrible digestive problems Mm. from shellfish. So Mm -hmm. it'd be like a explosion of. Dan, things uh, that'll show them. Uh, you've thought this through, um, yeah. <laughs> I actually have. <laughs> All right, Eric, your turn. Okay, I'm going to the Skipper Canteen at uh, the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, and I'm gonna look a. I'm gonna look a full full like they they do a full fish like they fry the entire fish. Mm. I want to look my meal in the eye oh, while yeah. I eat it. Um, and, uh, that's, the, I, I don't care about the rest of the meal. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I, d- just, let's just have one more full large fish that I have to stare at while I eat it. All right. Um, for me, it is full on chef's table, Victorian Alberts, 11 courses, 11 pairings of wine per course. I'm, I'm doing it upright. Right there is, it, the is that in the parks? I, I mean, it's in the resort. Oh, that's a good point. All right, fine. In that yeah. case, uh, yeah, I'm with Dan. I think I think Monte Cristo's Monte Cristo's on the water, blue bayou, because I I still can't afford to get into uh, Club Thirty Three. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, none of us thought of that, but uh, only one of us in this uh, podcast have have been there before. No, I've that's not there. true. I've been there. Dan's been there. Oh, what what? Yeah. Terrence only one of us there. has never been there. Yeah, Terrence yeah, lives there. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. used to be his apartment. Sure, whatever. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on because we want to get to uh, this episode. Okay, I want to seal up the, the oh seal it up mail bag of mail. Did you get Ooh. that from Splash Mountain? It sure did. Protect your your valuables. I broke in. I I got it yesterday. I broke in like. Nice. Zoink. Oh, yeah. And you ran through the park and like, everybody take off your mask. <laughs> Kicking cats out of my way. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. So today's episode, The Case of the Towers, Twilight v. Guardians. That's Twilight Zone Tower of Terror versus Guardians of the Galaxy, colon, Mission Breakout. Uh, our normal format, we have two arguers, plaintiff, uh, you know, d- you know the, the, the lawyer guys, and then you have a judge. Now, we have a fourth today. Terrence has volunteered to be the judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no spoilers, but he's never been to Disney World, and he loves Guardians of the Galaxy. So... <laughs> <laughs> Off to a good start. So... Uh, yeah. Uh, so we've decided that as Terrence being the judge, Dan will be the jury. We don't mm-hmm. know what that means. We don't know, yeah. but we like. We want Dan to be here. We like and regular him. listeners of our shows. Are, I'm sure you know this was. This is going to go very smoothly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I will be arguing for the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, and it officially opened first. So I will go first. Uh, and if Terrence 
who has already determined that he's not going to give any points to my sound. (laughs) (laughs) If Twilight Zone Tower of Terror gets a point, you're going to hear this. Spontaneous emotional response. Mm -hmm. That is Steve Gutenberg from Short Circuit. Now, you might think I would have chosen a sound from The Tower of Terror starring Steve Gutenberg, but I want to subvert expectations just like this episode's going to do. Um, and I just thought yeah. it was funny. speaking of buttering. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Steve Gutenberg saying spontaneous emotional response. Like if you take it out of context, it sounds like an acting choice. Spontaneous <laughs> emotional response. Like that's that that's was what written it, in the script. Yeah, yeah. Like no, no, <laughs> just, just leave it in. It's fine. Don't say the things in italics, Steve. Yeah, like like the the stage direction for Homer saying "doe" is annoyed grunt. You know? <laughs> It'd be like him saying, annoyed grunt. Anyway, uh, so so Eric uh, will be arguing for the Guardians of the Galaxy, which technically came second and or third, depending on your perspective. And if Guardians gets a point, you will hear this. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Goodbye, Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dan found yeah. that for you, but Eric, Eric, do you want to explain that to our listener? <laughs> Um, you see, there's this movie called Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and then they made another one, and uh, then there was a movie called Mary Poppins that came much earlier, and Dan combined them in masterful form. That sound, the first sound, is from the second Guardians of the Galaxy. It is uh, Peter Quill's sort of father figure who has an umbrella, I want to say, and he's floating. It's an arrow. Well, he's got an arrow. arrow. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, to be he's, fair, he's that is down the, on an arrow. It, to give credit where credit is due, that clip is actually lifted from uh, how it should have ended. I think. Mm. Um, oh yeah! If like I'm his, wrong, his, I'll his, get a clip of myself. Cheese. Yeah, oh. if I'm wrong, I'll get a clip of myself saying the right thing, and I'll get it to Eric so he can paste it in. I can masterfully paste it in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So for those of you listeners who enjoy the history of things, this is an episode for you. Um, and Terrence, as the judge, you are welcome to give points at any time. You just say point for whatever, and Dan will play the sound. Are you ready for this? I'm, let's go. I'm juiced. Let's do it. All right. <coughs> you don't need, <laughs> that you don't need excited, permission. Guys. All right. So Good, good, good. All right. Oh, so the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. As you can guess by the name, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is inspired by the classic television series, The Twilight Zone. Imagine your thought of the attraction during the design process of Disney MGM Studios, now Hollywood Studios. According to TowerSecrets.com, the new park needed something to really draw in heavy crowds. Unique ideas were thrown around, including an attraction based on Frankenstein. Soon enough, it was decided the ride would be a haunted hotel. Via TowerSecrets.com, Imagineer Bob Weiss wanted the haunted hotel to carry an Art Deco high-end 1930s style which of course it did. Imagineers didn't just want the attraction to consist of free-falling elevator. It needed a drop at a rate faster than gravity. According to TowerSecrets.com, an Imagineer said, if my tie doesn't fly up in my face, it's not good enough. The result of this idea was the elevator being pulled down around 39 miles per hour. To add more thrills and spooks, themes of the Twilight Zone were added in the design of the hotel, Via DisneyParks.com, Imagineers actually watched 156 episodes of the series to be as accurate as possible. 
The plot of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror follows the tragic night of October 31st, 1939. Uh, by the way, same as the miles per hour, 39. Um, when lightning struck the building, five people were aboard an elevator as the building was struck, causing the elevator to free fall. The Hollywood Hotel closed following these events, but has reopened, allowing new guests to experience these haunting events. Opening at Disney MGM Studios on July 22nd, 1994, the 199-foot-tall attraction was instantly popular. Ten years later, on May 5th, a new version opened at Disney's California Adventure Park, and another began haunting guests at Tokyo Disney Sea on September 4th. Has a completely different story. Uh, and then the newest version of the Tower of Terror opened at Walt Disney Studios Paris on December 22nd, 2007. That is my opening statement. Excellent. Yes, it is. That was, that was, that was great. I enjoyed Thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The next part gets much longer. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I was wondering. You warned us about the, the, the longness. Yeah. Um, Mr. 20 pages of notes over there. It's oh. only 19 now. Okay. <laughs> he trimmed it. All right. Guardians of the Galaxy, colon, mission, colon, breakout. Oh, there's two colons? Exclamation mark? I, I, I like to think so. There's definitely an exclamation point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, mission breakout is Disney's supreme tower drop attraction. Just saying that to, to start things out here. There's a little it, bit more in this opening. It is the best tower to- at California Adventure. You are correct. Uh, mm. Disney, Disney Parks in general. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Okay. Um, Located at Disney's California Adventure, it not only boasts the first instance of uh, multiple colon disorder in attraction names, um, it also graduated from its former status as a cheap Tower of Terror knockoff with uh, very, very good results, mm-hmm. I would like to say. Um, opening on May 27th, 2017, Guardians was a much-anticipated, much-observed, and much-maligned attraction. Uh, as is so often the case when a classic attraction closes, everyone developed a deep and abiding love for the Tower of Terror. Um, I, I, it's it's fine. You know, we, we get it. It's gone. Throw a party. Charge people a bunch of money to go to it. That's great. Uh, but the new attraction is so much more than its predecessor. Uh, the new sequences in the attraction add energy and life to the ride. It's a kinetic, kinetic burst where being launched upward is just as exciting as the inevitable drop. Add to it a compelling story and the ability to change that story over time, and you have a superior attraction that is definitely, as a wise host of our parent podcast once said on June 26th, 2017, it's definitely an upgrade. Okay. Um, what, what, just a little, little, little more here. A little more. Okay, go ahead. It, because I want to state that if this was an episode about which Tower of Terror is better, I would concede defeat and give Terrence six hours of his life back. Uh, but, but it's not uh this is uh this is going to be this is going to be a little bit tougher uh, because today uh we're talking about uh guardians of the galaxy colon mission breakout exclamation point okay your honor do you have any uh thoughts or statements um i can tell you number one i'm i'm extremely um surprised uh eric that you took a couple cheap shots in that opening argument i'm, I'm not i'm not gonna lie you did and, you know, i love I, I love the buttering up i did love the buttering up of the uh, very wise extremely handsome host um that that said it was an upgrade uh but but uh just based solely can i give points at this point 
You can give you can points. Give points oh, yeah. for okay. Absolutely anything. Okay, and I, I hate to say this. I, I got to give Jimmy a point for this, for the opening argument. Um, and I don't... Spontaneous I, I, emotional response! <laughs> and that's why I didn't want to do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, well done both of you well done both of you i'm very you. excited about this um and i have to correct you I'm, I'm sorry i'm holding eric in contempt for two minutes Ooh. for calling the original twilight uh zone tower of terror in dca a knockoff if anything it improved oh. it by <gasps> improving capacity mm. Ooh. Ah. interesting can't see it but i actually just dropped the mic Ooh! <laughs> Thank you, so Your wait, Honor. Are, are DCA you saying is the, a superior park? Are you saying that the DCA tower had more capacity than Disney World? Oh yeah, absolutely, it did. Oh, I think okay. you're right. It was double double decker, and they yep. did the same in Paris. Right. Yep. Right. But I'm sure Eric will get to that. So, well, thank you. That's right. very good, and I love the energy. Thank you so much. Uh, you're a very handsome man. And um, <laughs> and DCA superior to Disneyland. Okay, so Please go on. <laughs> all right, now we're going to get into some history because it's going to be relevant to both of these attractions' origins. Uh, but it's just, this is all very fascinating stuff. If you're if you're like us, which if you're listening, you probably are, is going to be interesting. So the Tower of Terror's actual origin was from Disneyland Paris, three th- three thousand miles away. Part of the original plans for Disneyland Paris was Geyser Mountain in Frontierland. It's just past Phantom Manor, which is their haunted mansion. Uh, and it's next to the geyser that they actually built. There's a geyser there at uh, behind, um, behind Phantom Manor. It's the only part they actually built. So this would have been a mine train ride through a mountain with a geyser bursting out from the tracks and catching your train from below, then pushing it up a chasm and then out of the top of the mountain and then dropping you back down onto the tracks. The water jets would have like hidden an elaborate free fall mechanism. So that was the original idea for a free fall ride. Sound familiar? This attraction never got off the planning stage, but the idea stayed in Paris. Discovery Mountain was to be built soon after Disneyland Paris opened in April 92, being twice as large as the present Space Mountain, as well as hosting the Space Roller Coaster. There was to be a journey to the center of the Earth attraction, all based on Jules Verne. That whole Tomorrowland or Discovery Land there is very Jules Verne from the Earth to the Moon kind of theme, which they tried to copy at Disneyland and they really did not do a good job. Uh, anyway, so this was way before Disney Sea, right? Or indeed the MGM tram tour version. And it had a free fall ride vehicle. At least two versions of this were looked at. One had a vehicle with a drill underneath it to plunge straight down into the floor, volcano. And the other was more elaborate steel rig where the ride would either start or finish with the passenger vehicle on its side in a curved spur off of the main drop shaft. Due to Disneyland Paris's financial issues, Discovery Mountain was shrunk into Space Mountain. And so the idea was mothballed again. Now, about this time, the Walt Disney Company were looking to expand the overpopular studios. That may be stretching it, but uh, the Disney MGM Studios was built as a half-day park, right? A, to beat Universal, and B, due to Epcot Center's doubling of budget. The first major expansion was Sunset Boulevard. It was to complement Hollywood Boulevard and to add some much-needed D or E ticket rides to the park. And then, you know, sort of even out the traffic flow away from the relative excitement of Indiana Jones stunt spectacular star tours and Muppet vision, right? So all early plans for sunset attractions were scrapped. Mickey's movie land was pretty much covered in the animation tour. 
Roger Rabbit's Hollywood was embroiled in, in copyright issues and Dick Tracy had flopped at the cinema. Plus, the Crime Stoppers attraction was scrapped since Eisner didn't want guests shooting guns at real targets in the parks. How things change with Buzz Lightyear. What was needed was a major e-ticket attraction and preferably one to act as a weenie to move guests past and through the shops of Sunset. Space was reserved for future attractions on Sunset, the rock and roller coaster plot, Phantasmic's plot, and a third plot in between those two and the farmer's market area, which was always planned to be a temporary structure. Until these spaces were filled, the Disney MGM Studios needed a must-see at the end of Sunset, and out of the archives came the Freefall Ride. So often Imagineers will bring in a team, into the team, ideas from other projects that were not implemented. So ideas, you know, ideas at Disney never die, right? So from Geyser Mountain in Paris, as well as other land, other Disneyland Paris projects found their way to the studios when Marty Sklar, head of Disney Imagineering, told Disney Imagineer C. McNair Wilson to put a team together of his favorite people to talk about a new project. In the fall of 1989, this is where it gets good. Mel Brooks... Michael Eisner, Marty Sklar, and C. McNair Wilson and the rest of the Imagineering group met together. With Breck Eisner. Um, Breck was probably there. Uh, The meeting was the beginning of an attempt by Eisner to bring Mel Brooks over to Disney to produce his films and then brand new Disney MGM Studios because he knew that Mel and Mel's son Max were huge Disneyland fans and a joint collaboration between Brooks and Disney would be a good starting point for working together. So Mel initially had to be sold on the idea of theme park attraction after being explained that a theme park attraction, now get this, has a lasting effect of being in place and seen every day of the week by about 20,000 people for anywhere from 10 to 20 years. So you do the math on that. And this is something that's just 20,000 people a day are seeing your brand, right? So he was convinced that it was the right way to go. So Mel Brooks made about six trips to Imagineering and a number of telephone calls to work on the attraction. Disney Imagineers wanted to shoot for something scary and funny with Mel Brooks. And at one point in early development, the Mel Brooks, what later became the Tower of Terror, started out as Castle Young Frankenstein, which would have featured a Bavarian village with winding streets to the castle with a drawbridge. The queue line would be toward the back of the village with a kind of indoor line that had the feel of like Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, The later idea changed to Mel Brooks Hollywood Horror Hotel. This idea led to another idea of the Hollywood Hotel having one end being, or one end being covered in ivy and had broken windows and was falling apart. And when you went into the hotel, if you went down the hall to that section, it would say closed or condemned. And that part would be the Hollywood Horror Hotel. The Mel Brooks attraction project commonly referred to by the Disney Imagineers as Hotel Mel. So it was literally two buildings but it would look like it was one large building. In fact, if you look at the Tower of Terror today, the back end looks like it could be extended to attach to another building right alongside of it. Look at a picture, you'll see what I mean. So some other ideas were tossed around, including an idea by the Kirk brothers. This is Tim and Steve Kirk, who are brothers who worked for Disney Imagineering, to have the hotel attraction hybrid be self-contained. And when you arrive at Orlando Airport, you would be driven to the hotel So this ride hotel combo, right? You'd be driven to the hotel in a 1938 Ford, quote unquote, Woody station wagon, and the curtains would be pulled down and you would be driven out to one location and be transported by another means of transportation somewhere else. 
Another idea to incorporate Mel Brooks into the studios was to do a comedy haunted mansion that would feature Castle Young Frankenstein on the same grounds in case the elevator-based attraction was scrapped. So Mel Brooks eventually left the project. Uh, At the time, Disney Imagineers had some firm ideas and brought in an idea to have a moving elevator off its track and moving down hallways and crash out of one side of the building. (laughs) And they had architects and engineers brought in onto the project and Mel lost interest, partially because Disney wasn't uh, building on Mel's original idea anymore and partially because Mel went off to make uh, Life Stinks. Not sure who Which that we was. all saw, yeah. <laughs> Not sure. I don't think 20,000 people total saw that movie, let alone <laughs> per day for 20 years. I, I just have to say, I would, I, I would pay absurd amounts of money to be picked up at Orlando Airport and driven to that hotel. I mean, I know that's almost what they're doing for the the new Star Wars Galactic Cruiser. But, I mean, to stay in in the Hollywood Tower Hotel, come on, I'd do that. Yeah, right? It would be really cool. It sounds and- a little bit like a kidnapping. And I don't <laughs> think that's a complaint. Isn't that what you want? Yeah. <laughs> don't you want to feel like you've been kidnapped by Disney? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yes. Bubble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so th- there's there's a little bit more history, but I just I, I'm intrigued at the imaginary process and how the idea starting in Paris on one thing and how it evolves. So it, it, stop me if you think it's ridiculous, but I think it's fascinating. So uh, once Mel Brooks left, Imagineers started to figure out what the new attraction would look like and budgets and so forth and played with some more. And with Mel leaving, Imagineers started leaning towards Spanish Renaissance, like Riverside Mission Inn look because of the great architecture and because it would fit with the eclectic storefronts on Sunset and Hollywood Boulevards, right? So Disney felt the attraction needed a movie reference and eventually settled on the Twilight Zone theme after calling around to see what movie rights were actually available. In fact, the idea of a Twilight Zone attraction was tossed around for one of the opening day attractions at MGM Studios at one of the attractions that featured multiple movie and television brands like The Great Movie Ride and Superstar TV. The Twilight Zone theme was a fairly easy overlay for the Imagineers and went through all the Twilight Zone episodes, like I'd mentioned, to pick elements from the series, although the theme did not change the attraction much. The one element that was lost in all of this was the comedy aspect to that to, that Mel Brooks wanted to add. But with Mel being gone, Imagineers focused on the uh, the eeriness and the thrill of the attraction with a Twilight Zone theme to it. So once the original ideas of the Twilight or the Tower of Terror attraction was incorporating Disney cast members. So part of the idea was that cast members would be dressed as different members of the hotel staff, like a hotel manager, a desk clerk. Uh, Of course, bellhops would each have something about them that was just a little off, you know. So one idea was those lines involving uh, having bellhops walking through the line with arms full of luggage, asking guests if anyone wants to check their luggage or telling a random guest, Mr. Eisner, your car is ready, um, which I think is fantastic. But another <laughs> another idea was to have a bench near the queue with a man sitting down hunched over with a newspaper in his lap and cobwebs sort of between him and the newspaper. And he would slightly move his head to the left or right. And when uh, he would, then he would have a sense uh, a guest was staring at him, he would sort of come to life, revealing he's a live actor and then start conversing with the guest. There was another idea of having audio animatronics, including an elevator repairman sleeping in the boiler room, 
But this and other ideas were eventually scrapped because they slowed the line down too much. Also because the line barely was actually in the lobby when where the theme and the bellhop would make True, the yeah. sense. And because operations didn't want to commit more people than were necessary to make the attraction work. And hotel staff member carrying room service around wasn't viewed as necessary. One problem. How can this fit into Disney MGM Studios? No volcanoes, no Jules Verne. In 1940, no Western geysers. It needs to be a TV or movie theme to tie in with the park. How about a Hollywood hotel? A ghost train, a haunted house, the Twilight Zone? Um, Aha! As the ideas started to come together, the plot revolved around a studio wrap party in a modern-day hotel where the owner started to kill the guests. Management knocked this back straight away due to the murder (laughs) storyline. Yeah. Uh, Next up was a narration by Vincent Price, who had just recorded the original Disneyland Paris Phantom Manor narration, which is creepy AF. That would have been really awesome. Uh, And this would have been with a part walkthrough, part ride about a group of movie stars staying in a hotel who uh, disappeared during a storm. As the walkthrough progressed, clues would tell the story bit by bit until you enter an elevator and what happened becomes all too obvious and is too late to get out. Now, Eisner, Eisner liked the story, but wanted the guests to be more involved. So the Twilight Zone theme was worked in with guests starring in their own quote unquote lost episode. Uh, after all, this is a movie park. The ride through portion of the attraction became the queue area. Hence, it's great theming and little clues all around and the boiler room holding area. The Twilight Zone themes were worked into this attraction, but it became apparent the original freefall ride vehicle would have to do a lot more. Disney initially involved Otis Elevators, who balked the idea of a freefall car. They had spent 140 years making elevators feel like they were stationary. Disney now knew they would have to start from scratch. I'm almost done. (laughs) Okay, so uh, now the Hollywood meets tower. So the design for the area was very intense. In front of the tower today looms two rather ominous stone structures. So their actual function is to house bathrooms, if you've ever been. But they're almost exact replicas of the monuments that act as gates at the end of Hollywood's Beachwood Drive. Now, in California, these monuments are there. The mountains directly above the gates are home to the famed Hollywood sign, which was originally built to advertise a real estate development called Hollywoodland. So first of all, I learned this when I was there in July. Did you know that, that Hollywoodland was a real estate advertisement? It was actually a real estate development? I knew that yeah. the, the Hollywood sign was supposed to be Hollywoodland, but I never knew it was yeah, real estate. It was promoting real estate. Like That's what it was. Uh, anyway. Uh, So the gates mark the entrance to this hillside collection of homes and cottages. A metal sign on the smaller left-hand gate proclaims Hollywoodland established 1923. The Disney MGM Studios designers copied this LA landmark down to the last detail almost. At the studios, the metal sign, instead of reading Hollywoodland established 1923, reads Hollywood Hills Estates, which is a fictional housing development. Now, the fifth dimension idea played a strong part of the story from the beginning, and it became the ideal transition from ride shaft to drop shaft. Early plans called for the fifth dimension floor to be in the basement, having descended from the corridor scene and then to rise to the top of the building and move into the drop shaft without a show scene. To maximize capacity without duplicating everything, it was decided to have four ride shafts 
but only two drop shafts. This and the fifth dimension transition called for a new type of ride vehicle. Imagineering had to have an elevator car, but one that could also move horizontally. So the answer was the AGV or autonomous guided vehicle. It is a self-controlling, self-contained ride vehicle that could move without track. Although the fifth dimension floor has guideways for traction, the vehicle itself runs on its own wheels along the floor. Such a vehicle needed to have onboard power with fast charging. Inductive power coupling was designed for Epcot Center's Universe of Energy, uh, that traveling theater cars by induction and it could recharge onboard batteries without a physical connection, right? You guys familiar with this? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So this technology was refined for the Tower of Terror and also used later in Tokyo Disneyland's Pooh's Honey Hut. Onboard computers follow a pre-programmed ride path and quote-unquote talk to the ride control system via a wireless frequency. So a secondary tracking system follows a wire embedded in the floor to keep the track of the AGV's location. Again, this is like University of Energy. Um, the original tracking system, but it can also easily trigger a shutdown if like somebody discards a park map or something be- becomes between the ride path and the AGV. Pro tip. But yeah, but how can a, <laughs> how can a machine like the AGV fall faster than terminal velocity? Have a second ride vehicle. So as the AGV guides itself into the ride shaft to ascend to the boiler room, the loading level, it slots into a larger elevator, the VVC or vehicle, excuse me, vertical vehicle conveyance. This is an elevator car in a true sense. So complete with cables and wheels, albeit with wire mesh for walls, it is this that lifts the AGV up through the corridor scene and to the fifth dimension level. And then as the AGV transfers horizontally, the VVC returns to the basement level to receive the next AGV that is in the loading, that is unloading its guests. For the drop shaft, a beefed up VVC is employed enough to take the rigors of accelerated free fall and with a pulley system to not just on its roof like a conventional elevator, but a complete loop of cable that also pulls the entire carriage downwards as well as up. Hence, faster than gravity. With the plans finalized, construction started, and we opened on July 22nd, 1994, with the brand new attraction, open its doors to the public. That's my mic drop. Wow, that's a lot. It sounded like we kicked over a a trash can. Sorry, I was trying to wake you guys up. Take that, (laughs) sleeves. This is absolutely fascinating to me because you got stuff that I didn't know and I love it. Well, the, the, the idea of this vehicle transferring to other vehicles and, and then, and that has to charge, this thing has to charge. So as it's unloading and loading, it's charging its batteries and it's down just long enough to charge the batteries to move from one shaft to the other. And that's just the technology is fascinating. And I didn't even get into the size of the motors that run this thing, but yeah. um, I digress. I'm going to leave it to Eric. I think that's – I never put it together that it was based off the technology from Universe of Energy because right. if you don't know, that was a giant like multi-tiered grandstand that just drove around. <laughs> mm-hmm. hey, you're sitting like, in a theater and all of a sudden the whole theater moves. It right. breaks apart and moves. Right, which was amazing for – a an attraction that was built in the eighties and it's this huge thing running off of a wire embedded in the floor in in its original concept. Yeah. I have to assume it was the same as uh, uh, excuse me, the great movie ride too. 
I don't think because that I don't know. I mean, that felt more like the you know like the Universal Tram kind of, but it, it certainly could have been. I yeah. I assumed it ran along a track in the ceiling, but I don't know. Anyway, that's the main history of the attraction, and of course, whatever opened originally at Disney's California Adventure borrowed from some of that technology in the history, right? Right. Well, yeah, it rolls backwards into that that cage, and yeah, it, it moves in a similar fashion. So do you have anything before the queue, Eric, that you want to speak to, or do you want me to keep on trucking? Uh, n- no, I think everything else is, um, yeah, any, any, yeah, yeah let's just go on, on to the queue. Judge, do you have anything to add? Hmm. So, so when I, when I look at this, sorry, I'm going to get very official right now. I just put Please. my rope back on. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> when I, when I look you're at You're too busy polishing your gavel. I was yes. <laughs> uh, so when I when I look at the ride, um, I, so I'm going to have to look at it two two ways. I have to look at Tower of Terror um, in uh, in Florida based on nothing to what it became, and then I have to look at uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout based on what it was to what it became. And so when I when I look at that, knowing uh, what they are, knowing what it could have been. You know, if you started out and just told me what the ride was, I would be extremely excited about what was in Florida. But when you start talking about things coming off the track and going down and a geyser blows it in the air and all of that, and they go, yeah, you know what? And we didn't do any of that. We did something else. Mm-hmm. I get a little sad. I get a little sad. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to right now, even without Eric saying anything in this portion of the segment, he gets a point. Poppin', y'all. Goodbye, Mary Poppins. Wow. You know, there's something to say uh, with just keeping your mouth shut, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is a case, and I was going to pipe in, but I think this is a case of uh, how can we possibly reward a point for something that they didn't do that would have been way right. cooler? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We dinged Eric on the Islands episode for that because he was yep. promoting things that didn't happen. <laughs> so, and, but the, the other problem with this, if I can just speak for a second, the other problem with this is that this shows, in my opinion, that Eisner wasn't the bad guy. It was just a bad moment in time for Disney because you cannot tell me that Mel Brooks was the hottest producer out there. Right. Uh, you, you know, and he was put in a position where, okay, look, this is probably the best person we can do, and this will help us in the long run. Um, we have to go out and find uh, an IP that's free instead of trying to to buy something else because, you know, Paris is terrible right now. Mm-hmm. And so you look at all these different things that are going on right now, and it's not his fault. That being said, man, you, you can't – don't tell me that I, I could have had a steak and then give me a hamburger because that's kind of what yeah. it feels like to me. So. <laughs> I, I, I feel you. I, I will say just on the record, I think Michael Eisner did – tremendous things for the company turned it around for the first mm-hmm. 10 years ian wells revolutionized the company i completely um, agree with you but the, the the second 10 years is when you get into the paul pressler era at disneyland and, and that's sort of where it went off the rails and i think Iger again reinvigorated the company and then who knows what's going to happen but yeah. I, i'm not a, i'm not an Eisner hater yes no, well yeah he was fantastic he knew how to keep uh, Eisner in check and that's Eisner right. was like a kid in the candy store and Frank Wells is his mom saying pick out one thing yep that's right <laughs> good point well this well said that's why you're the judge your attention please <laughs> hey everybody we're just going to take a quick break right now as I was editing the podcast 
uh, I had just gotten past this this thrilling point in the podcast but when I got a, a phone call from dear family friend Peter Cetera, and I figured, let's get him on the podcast. Let's Hi. talk to Chicago legend Peter Cetera. Pete. Hey, I'm uh, this is Peter Cetera. Um, really happy to be on one of my favorite podcasts, The Supreme Resort. That's so awesome. I, I never knew that one of my my biggest uh my biggest easy rock um idols is a fan of my show. So thank you oh, so yeah, much absolutely. for being on. Yeah. You know you I to- I'm a fan of a lot of a lot of things. You know what I really enjoy though is uh going to uh Disney World and I just got back from a trip and you, who a, a company that really helped me out in uh planning this vacation. Is a little company called um, their Vacation Planners, and I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but it's uh, Concierge. Uh, yes, yes, I have heard of of Concierge. They're yeah. they're the best. They're your magical vacation concierge. But do, I mean, do you have a minute to talk about? Uh, I mean, what what really went into you uh, making? How did you write the song "Baby, What a Big Surprise"? One of well, one of our I'd, favorites. I mean, I'd love to get into that, but my uh, delicious blue apron meal is almost going to be finished. So, I just want to talk about uh, concierge. Who, uh, as soon as I figured out that I was going to go to a Disney World, I just figured I'm going to give them a call because they have, you know, access to things that I wouldn't even think to look into. And sure enough, they made my vacation a breeze. They went on hold for me so that I could, you know, I could enjoy uh, making my new website with Squarespace while they did that. Wow, that's 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 pretty awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you how did you get in touch with them? With Squarespace or concierge? No, no, concierge. Everybody oh, knows how to get in touch with Squarespace. Right. I mean. Well, there's a website. I believe it's uh, www.concierge.com. Yes, yes, that, that, that sounds right. Right. It's bookmarked on my uh, Chromebook, but I don't have that open right now. Cause as I said, I just got back in from my uh, vacation. Um, and there's also a phone number, but I don't remember what the phone number is. Do you have that on you? Uh, yes, I, I do. It's one eight five six our ears. Uh, nice. Six eight seven three two seven seven. It's a lot easier if you use the letters, though. Cool. Hey, I gotta I gotta go pretty soon because uh, my for him's package is gonna show up. But I just want to say um, that concierge are the vacation planners who will fight for your honor. Wow, that's. That's pretty intense. I mean, I I feel my my heart's racing almost as much as it is when a new episode of Lore by Aaron Mankey comes out. <laughs> I also enjoy Lore. I I think let's just say I do. Okay. Yes. Of course you do. While you're <laughs> while you're sleeping on your your purple mattress. Yes. Exactly. Well, I actually have a purple mattress and a, uh, I forget the name of the other one, but there's another one that I have. They're on top of each other. They both come in a box the size of a mini fridge, you know. Well, if if you're Peter Cetera, you can afford to sleep on as many mattresses as you want. Right. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Pete Cetera. My uh, pleasure. Love your music. Uh, thanks for, uh, for for telling us more about your trip. Anytime. And I, I love your podcast. All right. And now back to the magic. Oh, 
Um, all right. So we're going to talk about the queue. And, and because I know that, uh, Eric, or excuse me, Terrence has sort of an affinity for the guardians. What I wanted to do was sort of detail why the tower of terror is sort of a better experience. And so I want to just having not done it, Terrence, I just kind of want to get into some, some of the more details. Uh, I'll remind you, uh, the Imagineers watched every twilight zone episode <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> and there's proof of that. So first of all, if you look at the hotel from the outside, okay, before you walk through the queue, there are uh, some 1,500 tons of steel along with 145,000 cubic feet of concrete. And the roof has 27,000 tiles, just to give you an idea of scale. Now, the grounds of the Hollywood Tower Hotel were inspired, inspired by the look of California's Griffith Park and Elysian Park. And the queue itself, when you're walking outside in the queue, they designed it at a two to four degree angle with dips and lifts of the edges to disorient you. So you're walking at an angle. You're not walking in a straight line. You're walking at an angle and all the railings are kind of rolling up and down. So it just looks like something's off, right? It, so that, you can feel it too. You, yeah. It really is a little off-putting. It is. But not 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 deliberately like you, you don't look at it and go, oh, that's that's wrong. Yeah. You just feel unsettled. Yeah, it feels wrong. Yeah, something's not right. Yeah. Uh, so the, the outdoor queue features songs, uh, the songs Inside by Fats Waller and Mood Indigo by Duke Ellington, amongst others. Can I just add a nerdy uh, audio note there? Please. The, they filter it through a reverb filter mm -hmm. where you get nothing but the wet reverb, which means that you, you don't hear the, the original sound. You just mm -hmm. hear like the echo of it, which is a yes. beautiful effect. I never, I, I know that now that you're saying it, but I never thought about that. That's totally right. Um, the lobby of the Hollywood tower hotel is so beautifully themed. It, it makes you, um, so it's themed to make you feel like it was abandoned in a hurry, right? Cause there was a lightning strike in 1939 um, so with their cobwebs all around and personal belongings left behind, there are many wonderful details. So one prop in particular pays homage to an episode of the twilight zone from 1959. It was called time enough at last. And it features a man named Harry Burness who longs to be able to have plenty of time to enjoy reading with no disruptions. Fortuitously, he finds himself the sole survivor of a massive bomb explosion with a nearly intact library close by for him to enjoy. So he can just read in peace because he's the only one left. Thinking that he has all the quiet time in the world to finally read undisturbed, Burnus hurries to the library only to drop his glasses and shatter them, effectively leaving him blind. So if you look around the... He sits Go ahead. He, he said the best part of that episode is him on his knees on the steps shouting, there was time now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so if you look around the lobby of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, you can spot a pair of broken glasses that were left behind when the hotel was abandoned, which pay homage to this episode. Now, the lobby was outfitted with antiques and furniture purchased at Los Angeles area auction houses. By Lillian Disney. <laughs> That's right. Uh, also in the lobby, look out for a Mahjong set. Uh, Mahjong is a tile-based game that was established in the Qing Dynasty in China. Uh, the pieces are placed in an accurate manner as if the game was suddenly abandoned. Now, some of the sculptures featured in the lobby are actually the work of 19th century sculptor Auguste Moreau. And they're in the library. You can see a book labeled To Serve Man. This is taken from the Twilight Zone episode of the same name. There's sheet music in the library titled What? No Mickey Mouse. And a photo play magazine featuring a four-page spread of Walt Disney design caricatures that you can see in the lobby. Now, the spirits of the Hollywood Tower Hotel sometimes try to help guests avoid their fates. Inquisitive guests who peer inside an old notice board in the lobby may find that the fallen letters have accumulated at the bottom. If you look at it in the right angle, they spell out evil tower, you are doomed. That's you, the letter U, letter R. Uh, that warning's come and gone over the years. Um, and then... Before guests board the ride, they're taken into a dusty old library, which we all know, where you see Rod Serling, who tells the tale of the tragedy that changed the hotel on October 31st, 1939. Now, that's not really, no, that is really Rod Serling, by the way. That's actually Rod Serling. Imagineers were able to take clips from the Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life, that matched up with the story they wanted to tell. Uh, but the pre-ride video, best part of all, was directed by Joe Dante, who also directed Gremlins. Nothing. All right. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Rod Serling's image in the video. It's actually not his voice. It, there's a voice impersonator named Mark Silverman and his ability to match Serling's voice uh, was so impressive that his, uh, that Rod Serling's widow, Carol chose him specifically. So she gave the blessing. And then a couple more things. Thing number one is the number 13 and the significance of number 13. If there's a 13 minute wait time, that's a good thing because that means there's no wait. The wait does not go any low, anywhere below 13 minutes. So that's any other ride that'd be a five minute wait, right? Behind the front desk, there is a AAA plaque. You know, AAA famously gives no more than five diamonds. The, the Hollywood Tower Hotel has 13 diamonds. And there's, of course, 13 floors. You drop 13 stories. Um, like I intimated before, the actual hotel that this is based on, the exterior is the Mission Inn in uh, Riverside. California has a, a Spanish and Gothic sort of inspiration. And then the inside was from the Los Angeles Biltmore hotel and all those little cobwebs you see now, you know, Disney's famous for keeping everything clean, but they leave the lobby area sort of, they leave it alone, but every once in a while the cobwebs kind of go astray. So what they do is they use a hot glue gun and they use the strands of that hot glue gun to make the cobwebs like on the lamps and stuff. Cause it has a nice gleam to it, but it's done by hot glue. I had no idea. Hmm. Uh, that is the queue of the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Well done. Great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. If you listened to, to Jimmy's history and you said, I hope Eric has something that is just as riveting, get ready. I got lists. Oh, hey Oh, yeah. Everybody likes lists. Um, so the queue of Guardians of the Galaxy features... Uh, an amazing edifice that was once a horrible old, old hotel that didn't fit in with anything else on Buena Vista Street. 
Um, <laughs> that I mean, is true. That is fair. Yeah. It was an old derelict building set in a take on the Hollywood of yesteryear while we were supposed to think it was present year. Didn't work. But hey, it's the, the, the Tower of Terror. It was the same in, uh, it's the same on the, the East Coast. We, we like it. It's great. It, it adds a, it, it, it fits. And no, we're not litigating this point, but it, it does fit in Sunset Boulevard and it act, definitely acts as a weenie. Oh, it, it for sure does. And it still acts as a weenie in DCA. Uh, the old Tower of Terror was refit with 4,000 feet of Unistrut metal framing uh, that was designed to support the new show elements. That's all of the, all of the satellite dishes and tubes and, and crenellations that, that were added on. Um, so the, the contractors who were hired used a 280-pound rare earth magnet to locate the metal studs underneath the structure in the process. Um, what, wait, what? So, so to, to set all that stuff, all the, all the things on the outside of the tower and all the colorful tubes and, mm-hmm. and signs and, and whatnot, they actually took, they had to take a giant mag, super powered magnet and use it to slide along the wall to find the metal studs underneath the structure rather than break it apart. Oh, wow. Oh, this, is so this the reimagining? Yes. Okay. Thank yes. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got the original tower. They don't want to bust it up. They mostly want to do a paint job, but then they want to add all these extra things on there. So yeah, they have to use. They basically developed a giant stud stud finder. And I, I should note that while I'm not a dad, two people on this uh, this this podcast are dads. How many of us have ever taken a stud sensor and held it up to ourselves and gone beep beep? One every hundred percent of the time. Yep, every time. <laughs> Okay. All right. Oh, it feels good to get off my chest. Yeah, thank you. I was going to bring it up if you didn't, so thank you. (laughs) All right. Uh, So this this whole process was uh, put together by a contractor called the Raymond Group. They were employed by Disney to to rejigger the outside of the hotel, and all of those pipes and satellite dishes and everything um, were installed uh, on the outside to transform it from a derelict to a weird alien structure. Uh, the first time I stayed in a parkroom view uh, of in one of the hotels, I could see Grizzly Peak, which is no longer the uh, icon of DCA, and yeah, that's fine, <laughs> and, and the tower of 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 the Collector rising in the distance. It was weird, but it was super super cool because at the time it was brand new. Um, you got to see the lights from a distance. It you know I couldn't wait to go on it because it you know I had heard so much about it. So this this contractor finishes its work under budget and in time, um, and its final product was so was discussed by quite a lot of quite a few people um, in the early days before the attraction opened. Everybody was saying, "Oh, it looks it looks ugly. It looks weird." Um, I don't know that a lot of people really care as much about that that layover look anymore especially since we're getting a whole avengers campus to put around it yeah um, can i have a sidebar yes you may unrelated to points or arguments how so what i know about the collector right is that he is he he's on nowhere and i don't remember seeing a fortress so is this like his summer home or is this you, supposed to be nowhere you actually see the fortress in um Guardians Thor 2. Ragnarok in the background. <gasps> Correct. Of uh, what's the Jeff? Well, Jeff Goldblum is yeah. may as well be the character now. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, he's he's right, Jeff right. Goldblum, the the, the, the supreme, no, the master, the grandmaster. Yeah, they're Grand brothers. Master, yes. 
They're brothers. Yes. Oh, Oh, God. That's really cool. So, so then how do you justify if you're Imagineering? So you've got the collector's fortress that, which is here and, and the collector died, but I guess this all happened, but I I don't know. No one dies in Marvel, Jimmy. Also, point. he didn't die until, and he may and not end, end actually game. be dead, but, but yeah, Endgame was many years later. So that's a good point. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I, yeah. I continue. No problem. Uh, so before you enter the tower, now we're, now we're at the queue portion. Uh, you get to roam through the gardens of the collector and there's maybe a little bit of shade, not much. Um, and you listen to spacey music and occasionally one of uh, Tanelir Tavon, that's the collector's, one of his assistants pops up and plays something from the collector's collection of audio clips. So, so there are quite a few different clips to be heard. I will not list them uh, because I have enough lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll hear snippets from like the moon landing and uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. You definitely skip past that if you, if you get your, your fast pass. Mm-hmm. So not everybody spends a whole lot of time in there. So if you have that fast pass, you skip past that portion. You walk past a statue of the collector. You go inside. Inside the building, you get the first glimpse at the collection of the collector. Um, here's here's where the lists begin. <laughs> Inside the lobby of <laughs> list hey, warning. Can I, another sidebar. Um, fast passes. They're not a thing right now, right? And Correct. I have to say, I really, aside the fact that I got to do 20 rides in a day at Magic Kingdom because there's just not a, as many people. I really enjoyed the fact that there was no fast pass. I enjoyed the fact that I couldn't go to more than one park because it just forced me to just enjoy and suck it up. And we're just going to wait for this ride. It is what it is. We're just going to do it. And it, it it immersed us in the park more. And then we weren't worried about, oh, we got to pop over to the monorail to get to there to do this. And, and it felt much more relaxed not having a fast pass and having to be in one park. And uh, prediction... The park reservation system is not going away. I don't think ever. The end. <laughs> Jimmy's take. All right. <laughs> well, that sounds interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to my experience there. Hot take. All right. So inside the lobby, we have Cosmo the Space Dog. We have a chunk of Ultron from Avengers 2. We have the Warlock's Eye, which was seen in Asgard's vault. We have a uniform from the Nova Corps. We have a cocoon of unknown origin, as it's labeled. Some people originally thought this might be the the cocoon of Adam Warlock, who um, you see in the post-credit sequence of the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but in there he's in this giant gold thing, so Mm -hmm. maybe that's different. I don't know. Um, You see see weapons from the Kree, you see Asgardian weapons, you see Terrigen crystals, uh, which is an inhuman thing from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., props from Doctor Strange. You see masks resembling the Celestials, which we've barely seen. We, we caught a little glimpse in the first Guardians, uh, but they're a creation of Jack Kirby uh, in the comics. Um, you see a painting of Jeff Goldblum and Benicio Del Toro, the Grandmaster and the Collector, uh, which was painted by Marvel's head of visual development, Ryan Minerding. And in that picture, of course, the Collector is beating the Grandmaster at checkers. Mm. <laughs> Now, the Celestials, so uh, what's his name? Star-Lord's dad is Celestial, right? And yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and the, the offspring of the Celestials are called, there's a movie coming out about them, you know, the... Uh, Glee. Yeah, man. 
<laughs> anyway, one of the next Marvel movies coming out is is about these group of people. They're all they're all uh, offspring of Celestials, and Thanos is one of the offspring of Celestials. In the comics, yes, yeah, yes, he was. Anyway, that's um, another sidebar. Yeah. Sorry. And Eric, yeah. am I am I remembering correctly that they uh, the collection the changes from time to time? Um, like they, they swap out things. They have moved things. I don't. I don't know that I've seen a whole lot of change. Right. I think they um, probably just like change like one thing here and there, so they don't have to uh, close the whole thing. I. This is just speculation based on a memory that barely works sometimes, but yeah, it yeah. feels correct. Yeah. I, I mean, most of it, really, at this point, a, a lot of a lot of times the line is fast enough. You're not really walking slowly past all of it anyway, so you're probably mm-hmm. not even looking very quickly. Um, I know I personally have never even noticed that Figment from Epcot um, is is in this place. What? There's a there's a smoked there's a smoked glass like this purple mm-hmm. this glass with purple smoke behind it, and you see his silhouette in there moving around. Damn it, <laughs> it's Eric! And it's turn. It's one of those you have to turn around and see, like the ER sign in uh, mm. the parking sign in in Indiana, Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's not easy to see, but I've seen pictures of it. I'm like, why have I never seen that? Like Max <laughs> so it's Park almost as though Disneyland uses Figment more creatively <laughs> and better than Disney World does. That is fair. Oh, that is fair. Wow. <laughs> Damn it, Eric. All right. <laughs> All right. The, the main event in... <laughs> The main event in the queue is this giant video screen that's playing essentially the pre-show. Uh, it sets up the premise of the ride that says the Guardians of the Galaxy were captured because Peter Quill was tricked into bringing them to the Collector's Tower for a tour. Um, so they're on display in these suspended electrified cages. Mm-hmm. Somehow Rocket escapes. There's a cameo by Stan Lee. Uh, the The video... You can usually see the entire video unless the line is like non-existent. You can see the entire thing usually once, maybe a little bit more. Right. But it gives you a, a chance to to get that full story before you go go in. Similar to the original the original attraction, you go in into in front of two doors that lead into the next area. Uh, but here it's explained that you have to hold up your hands to be scanned and granted access to the later parts of the tour. This is totally real. You have to do it. <laughs> Show us your hands. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't feel silly because everybody does it. And if if your your really cool friend isn't doing it, you can you know jab him in the ribs with your elbow or something. Yeah. Dude, come on. His hands don't scan. Right. His hands don't scan. <laughs> right. So Uh, next you walk into the private office of the collector uh, where you're surrounded by even more interesting items. Um, The, another video starts similar to the original ride where the collector is starting to tell you about his, his, uh, his tour that you're about to go on Uh, rocket. The raccoon interrupts and you see his animatronic above the bookshelves. And he explains that, that he needs your hands to access an elevator and he's going to hijack your elevator and take everybody to a generator that he'll blow up, which will free his friends on the way out of the room. If you are if if you happen to be standing in the right spot, you can see Rocket grab uh, Peter Quill's Walkman from the movie from a case. Um, if you didn't see it, just go on the ride again. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but there are plenty of other items to see if you've seen that before. Now, he grabs the Walkman before you enter that room. No, he, he- as he's escaping. 
he grabs it as you after he's finished. So after you, after he says, "These hands don't scan," mm-hmm. you, you, like you you go through the whole thing. He explains the process, and on your way out, after the doors have opened and everybody's already filing out, he goes, "Ah, I'm gonna take this," and you see his uh, hand, like his furry paw, reach into a case and pull out the Walkman. And it, I don't want, I want to step on any any, any uh, feet here, but Eric, you said that that is an animatronic figure. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's a real it's a real raccoon. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Dan. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, a it's a real cybernet, cybernetically enhanced uh, raccoon. Cybernet. Well, that we'll makes me the jury <laughs> want to ask Jimmy: Does Tower of Terror have any anim- animatronics? It has Rod Serling <laughs> on a TV. On a TV. Yeah, but okay. it was 1939. What do you expect? I don't have animatronics in 1939. Jimmy, you just we read the Benicio entire history, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> and. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in. I'm. I'm merely in an inquisitive Katori role here. Mm-hmm. Easy for you to say. Um, mm-hmm. That animatronic is very cool. And and also just yeah, it's just it's, to add real quick, Eric. I'm sorry, just to add to it because um, the first ten times I went on this ride, I did not know that you could see Rob, uh, Rocket do that. Um, you have. To, it's very faint. Stay last, go far right, and you'll see him go up down. I'd also like to do something, um, because I am a judge for the show. I'd like to do something just real quick. Um, I'm going to give both Eric and Jimmy a future negative point towards Dan <laughs> for this <laughs> reason. Because every time I hear Rocket Rank Raccoon, I always think of the song Rocky Raccoon, and I still can't believe that Dan <laughs> actually hates the Beatles. And so you have a future point to take away from Dan. They can be combined if you'd like to as well. Ooh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm taking a note. Good point. Negative point. Wow. <laughs> Next time he argues something, we got something in our back pocket. Sweet. <laughs> You're still my boy, Dan. You're still my boy. All right. I, know. I love it. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, so if if you've seen Rocket grab that, th- the next time you go through, you can look at all the other things that are in there. For instance, an invoice from XS Tech, which is oh. a reference to the extraterrestrial encounter. Damn it. Right? <laughs> um, there's a bellhop hat and a luggage tag from the original Tower of Terror costumes. Um, there are books from the Tower of Terror library. There's a jar with a tentacle from Davy Jones' face. Um, there's stuff from uh from the first avengers movie like the the shackles they used to to um loki tie up loki at the end uh there's chunks of weapons and armor from hydra the golden apples of eden which is a uh another thor reference um the crimson bands of sitarak which is from dr strange um, parts of Interventions Tom Morrow, so that you see this animatronic skeleton. That's from Interventions. Oh. Um, the head of an It's a Small World doll. Oh, jeez. Which <laughs> is great and creepy. Um, tin Mickey and Minnie toys from the 30s or 40s. Um, maps of Disneyland. The leg from Guardians of the Galaxy 1, where Rocket says, I need that guy's leg. Oh, man. <laughs> and the gun Phil Coulson used against Loki in the first Avengers movie. <sighs> then Damn. you leave this room you you file out you go back into that boiler room sort of area that's no longer a boiler room it's a it's a very very sciencey boiler room because now there are led panels with fake science readouts <laughs> um there are also uh, th- there are also a few other things you can see some uh, very you see this uh 
console that has various foods that are apparently for all of the monsters that are in captivity there. You see the original Harold the Yeti from the Matterhorn. Mm -hmm. You see Dolores the Octopus from Country Bear Vacation Hoedown. (sighs) And you see some statues from the Doctor Strange movie. And then when you reach the end of the line, you get another chance to hold up your hands and show everybody that it is, in fact, real. Because if you don't do it, the doors don't open. No, that can't be true. It's true. Hmm? I don't know. Every time I've raised my hands and every time those doors open. So this just saying. This just ain't working out, Dolores. (laughs) (laughs) The Q. Wow. I want to weigh in on this now. I I want to give my my judgment just strictly on this. So um, it's been said, you guys know, DCA is my go-to. And I do, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that is a great ride. We haven't gotten to that point, but let's just talk about the queue. Um, I hate it. I hate the queue. Really? And yes, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a couple of reasons. I, I hate, and I don't know if you, I don't remember you mentioning this specifically, Eric, but I hate the um, fake plant names that they have throughout the entire queue. I, um, I wrote it down ooh. and I, I skipped that for some reason. Something <laughs> told me. <laughs> Sorry, I looked at the evidence before the trial. I apologize. So, um, <laughs> it's called so, disclosure. You're good. <laughs> right. So, um, I, I hate that. Um, most of the time that I'm in line, I'm in line long enough to see the video several times. Um, and the, um, the actual inside of the boiler room, it feels weird. It, everything just feels kind of disjointed. And I understand the collector is a collector, but it, it always came across like everything was just kind of shoehorned in. Now, that being said, and I have never, ever, ever, ever seen a better cue than the Tower of Terror. Hands down. Here, here. It blows it blows indie out of the water. I haven't been on Rise of the Whoa. Resistance yet because COVID. Um in my it does. It blows indie out of the water, in my opinion, uh, because I also am a Twilight fan a twilight zone fan um and so to see these little things that harken back to the old show i always thought was amazing um and and the the other thing is that every single time you load it onto the elevator which in my opinion is the end of the queue it the people who were who were loading you were very stern very Mm -hmm. serious and they have always um been in one position right in front of the doors when they close and when you come back they're in the same exact position and it always added a little bit to it for me so for me personally i'm you know it's eh, i gardens of the galaxy once you're on the ride fantastic everything before no so point to jimmy Okay. Whoa. Earmuffs, earmuffs, Terrence. Terrence. <laughs> Spontaneous emotional response. <laughs> I just love thinking that that's just him <laughs> Right? <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, the, I, well said, Terrence. And again, I love your passion. You are welcome to officially leave ears up and join us. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So. Uh, so the ride, okay? So while the Hollywood Tower Hotel is abandoned and covered with a layer of dust and cobwebs, the service there was once impeccable. After boarding the service elevator, guests should look for an inspection certificate to the left-hand side of the doors, which is dated October 31st, 1939, which was the day the tower was struck by lightning. And it is signed by Mr. Codwaller, Codwallader, excuse me. While the name might seem random, it is a character from the 1959 episode Escape Clause. Now, Codwallader was the devil himself. 
making it ominous that he is the one who signed off the safety of the elevator the very day that it was struck by lightning and people disappeared. Now, guests should also look for the number 10 or 10,259, which references October 2nd, 1959, which was the airing date of the very first episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, so you go on the elevator, you enter, you go up, and you see a corridor that employs the Pepper's ghost trick, which is famously used in the Haunted Mansion ballroom scene. The images are project- projected via a mirror onto a pane of glass to give the impression that the ghostly characters within are right in front of you. And the corridor is made to look longer than it really is using forced perspective, which we love to talk about on the show, with the elements at the far end of the corridor being smaller than those that are closer to the riders. Um, and of course, the little girl who disappears in the elevator has a Mickey Mouse doll. Hidden Mickey. Uh, the attraction's fifth dimension scene, which is the next part of the of the lift, was inspired in part by the Little Girl Lost episode of The Twilight Zone. So when the fifth dimension doors open, the first lights that come on simulate looking down a lift shaft. So the idea was to disorient guests into thinking that they were lying face down at the top of a lift shaft. Guests can't prepare themselves for the exact level of terror they'll experience because in 2002, Disney upgraded the Tower of Terror with computer randomized drop sequences, each for individual experience. So riders don't know how many times they'll drop and from what heights. There are two drop shafts on the Tower of Terror, as you may have noticed if you watch the ride from outside. However, there are actually four elevators that lift the AGVs up to the fifth dimension scene. Two of these merge into a single corridor. Now, this enables the ride to have an increased capacity of about 1,800 riders per hour. Guests who are brave enough to enjoy the ride on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror can spot another prop, which pays homage to episode... What, you exacerbated, Dan? And just We get it. It's scary. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> pays homage to an episode of the series after their final drop. So guests come from the experience... Uh, in a mishmash of props and items, which seem to have been haphazardly piled and left behind. Among these items is an eerie dummy, which tributes the 1964 episode Caesar and me. The episode features a ventriloquist named Jonathan West, who finds himself rather unsuccessful. His dummy Caesar comes to life and encourages him to commit a series of burglaries to keep afloat. And his evil plots are overheard by a young girl who lives in the building. After being caught by the police, West attempts to convince them that it was the dummy. It was Caesar's fault. But the police think he's crazy uh, as the dummy is inanimate. So after West is arrested, Caesar attempts to convince the young girl in the building to continue his evil plans. After the conclusion of the Tower of Terror, guests who quickly look around before disembarking their elevator can see Caesar sitting amongst a pile of items looking for his next victim. After you, after the ride ends, you make your way down a corridor where you can see and potentially purchase your onboard ride image. And then you take a left into the hotel's gift shop. Among the items for sale, a Hollywood Tower Hotel robe, a bellhop hat, an actual Hollywood Tower Hotel bellman bell, a Hollywood Tower Hotel journal, a mug, oddly uh, a bunch of Haunted Mansion merch. <laughs> you can get... The Tower of Terror Clue Disney Parks Edition, and of course, your very own copy of The Tower of Terror, the Steve Gutenberg joint, with scenes that were filmed on site at the park 
in some of the exterior scenes. And as you exit the ride, you can look out for the sunset room on your right. You'll see a menu dated October 31st, 1939, the date that the hotel is said to have closed due to the unfortunate lightning strike. That is the ride. All right. That's good. But is it good enough? Let's find out. The the vehicles themselves from the original Tower of Terror at DCA um, are the same for for this this new iteration uh they don't move forward through space like those in hollywood studios but they do take full advantage of the potential for up and down and they also move backwards a little bit (laughs) and i suppose forward at the end right um so you roll backward into the lift area uh there you see a silhouette of rocket on top of your uh, on top of the the car you see him uh, unplug a wire and then plug Quill's Walkman in to a shower of sparks, and then your lift fires upward. Uh, the movement never really stops after that. There are times where the doors in front of you open to show a high-definition screen that's so good it almost looks 3D somehow. Um, there you, you see the escape of the Guardians play out. Uh, you also see the generator exploding. Um, you really never... Like I said, never stop moving throughout this. You keep bobbing up and down, shooting up a few floors and then dropping again. Uh, You never really know which direction you're going to go in. The car itself is a part of the story and every movement feels organic and real because it figures in with the story that you're seeing in front of you. Now, uh, the, the replayability on this ride is more than just you don't know which direction you're going to go in. Uh, there are six different songs from Peter's Walkman that are played, and with each song, you get a very, you get uh, a different sequence of videos that tell the story. Here in my my final list of the show mm. is <laughs> is a list of those songs and what happens. So during the song "I Want You Back" by the Jackson Five, the Guardians. You see the Guardians leap out of their cages. Drax gets grabbed by a large tentacled monster. Then you move around. Quill gets, uh, gets into a fight with a uh, rat cr- creature that he kicks at the cages. Um, Drax fights the monster in the background. Um, these are the same rat things from the first Guardians movie that Quill is, is kicking around. Oh, he kicks around. one, yeah. Right, and he sings into one. Um, and at the end of that scene, Quill gets mobbed by a whole bunch of the rats. Uh, the next sequence is hit me with your best shot by pat benatar and this one peter and gamora run away from the tentacled monster uh the same one from the first scene um and then they run the other direction from security drones uh in the second portion drax leaps out of the monster of a giant beast he turns around punches it in the face and it falls off off of a ledge he turns back to the back to the camera back to you the guest and starts laughing and says you're welcome in the next one, Give Up the Funk by Parliament, Quill and Gamora are caught by uh, the tentacled monster and they're getting shaken around. The second portion, it's the same Quill sequence from I Want You Back where he's mobbed by the rats. Let's see, we've got Free Ride uh, where the Guardians are fighting as before. Uh, Baby Groot hits a red button, which turns off the gravity, uh, which makes your car drop. Um uh, no, he turns off the gravity. You float there for a little bit. Everyone is floating in the scene. Then Quill says, turn the gravity back on. And that's when your car drops. That's clever. Uh, yes, it's nice. Um, then there's Burn in Love by Elvis. Uh, same 
as the first I want you back scenario where the Guardians jump out of the cages. The second portion is the same part as hit me with your best shot with Drax jumping out of the monster. And then there's Bored to be Wild, um, where Quill and Gamora are uh, running around and running away from the monster, as in hit me with your best shot. And then the second portion where they're running away from the drones. So, in all, there are seven different recorded scenes that are mixed and matched, and uh, I prefer uh, Free Ride as my favorite mm. with the the anti gravity drop. Come uh, which... on and take a free ride. Yes, that's come the on and take. <laughs> come on, where are where you at, Terrence? <laughs> take a free ride. Yeah, I know you're a singer. I know. I didn't want to step on any toes or anything. You're good. Oh yeah. Toes so are fine. any any thoughts what favorite sequences that that you enjoy? Uh free ride for sure. Okay. Okay. Dan I, I Jimmy Good. <laughs> I enjoyed Born to be Wild for the first time that wasn't ironic uh, riding that ride. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Jimmy? I couldn't I couldn't speak to it. I I I've been on it a few times. I just enjoyed the ride. It it's good. You, the screens are incredibly realistic, photorealistic. It does look 3D. Yeah. I mean, screens, but they do it well, right? And phone lines are open if you would like to share your own favorite <laughs> moment. <Yeah. laughs> Listeners at home, what's your favorite? Uh so we'll read it in Dan's mailbag of mail next <laughs> month. <laughs> so, uh, go ahead. So there's a little more ride left. So uh, when Rocket regains control of the lift, uh, you are fired all the way up to the top. You get a nice blazing bright view of the parks or a uh, calming and amazing view at nighttime. And you're dropped all the way back down. Uh, Make sure that when you're up there, you hold your hands up so you block the face of the person who is sitting behind you for the picture. His hands won't scan. (laughs) when you, you drop back down, you stabilize in front of the screen again. The Guardians thank you for your help. Everybody waves and gets on a ship and flies away. As you slowly descend to the bottom, you hear Drex. Actually, there's another, there's another quick drop. Uh, but then you, you slowly descend to the bottom and you hear Drax wonder aloud why uh, we're being congratulated as the guests. Because uh, all we did was sit there. And if anything, uh, we should thank Drax. It's very funny. Is that on all of Every- them or just one of them? No, that's in all of them. The same, okay. yeah. The, the ending is the same for all of them. Um, so everybody has a good laugh. They get out. Uh, you walk down the hall, laugh at the picture, um, take down the number for your Max Pass photo pass, you know, uh, and exit through also a very nice gift shop uh, that plays pop music from the movie. It's a really great shop. Um, currently, the only place where you can find some pretty cool Marvel stuff. I have a sidebar question again. Um, when you're in either of these attractions and you're immersed in this experience, be it the Collector's Fortress or this 1930s era hotel, and then you the doors open and you see out, does it take you out of the experience? Like, like, oh yeah, there's Matterhorn. Like, does it take you out at all? I think it. I think it does. Certain. It takes you out of the theme definitely in Guardians of the Galaxy. However, they acknowledge it. How's that? Like the doors open, you see Disneyland and Rocket's like, Disneyland, why are we there? Yeah, that's true. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. He does yeah. yell that, yes. Yeah. Interesting. It, I, I have always thought the same when you get into that that shaft in the Tower of Terror, you just feel the heat. Yes. The Florida heat. Oh my God. Because you're, you're in an air conditioned building. Drop. Exactly. And like, oh, yeah, oh, where, where we need to be. Yeah. <laughs> I know what's hard. What the takes ride me out. Is. 
Yeah, that's what takes me out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry. Go ahead, Judge. Okay. So, um, like you said, I have I haven't been to uh, Disney World. I've watched the video probably a thousand times, and I have lusted after this ride probably a thousand times. Um, the fifth dimension scene looks just amazing. Um, and you know, you look forward, you look at the fact that you have a ride vehicle going from one area to a different ride vehicle, and you can see that being utilized on Rise of the Resistance at this point. Um, so that's, that's, that's neat. The problem for me is even with randomized droppings, oh, that sounds really weird. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Keep it. Yeah. Randomized. <laughs> it's a whole bunch of pigeons. Yeah. So thinking of a really good brand uh, name. So th- even with the random drops, um, it's still the same ride. And mm-hmm. the difference mm-hmm. between that and Guardians of the Galaxy is you have seven different uh, songs, seven different scenes, seven different videos mm. that go along with it. And the and with the Tower of Terror, um, the I, I don't care about the story element of it at the first part. I don't care about watching the the people in the elevator i don't care about watching the people being hurried to the elevator with the, by the bellboy i don't care about that is the, the parts the show actually starts with the drops and with the fifth dimension so with guardians of the galaxy um it starts immediately even the way that it's filmed where it looks like the camera's following you because of the way they filmed it, it there was so much that went into that that there is literally no way that i cannot say that it's the the better ride in that aspect so point mm. to eric wow I'm popping, y'all. goodbye my puppies <laughs> and eric <laughs> ju- Peter, judge Peter, can i do, can i have some can i have permission to approach the bench <laughs> uh yes permission granted Okay, thank you. There's there's some additional evidence. I know you just awarded me a point, but I have some additional evidence to present. Uh, sir, you, you you won you won this case, sir. Are you are you sure? Not, not yet. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not. I'm sorry. You've you've uh, won. I'm, I'm willing to take that chance. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. All right. Walk, 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 walk. In August of 2017, just a few short months after the attraction reopened, Disney announced a seasonal overlay for the brand new ride. Monsters After Dark Uh-oh. ran from September through Halloween, after which, uh, personally, I expected to see Elves in the Morning, a Christmas overlay. <laughs> uh, the story for Guardians of the Galaxy, colon, mission, colon, breakout, exclamation point, colon, Monsters After Dark, brings guests back inside the Collector's Tower for another mission. It seems that as we released the Guardians, we also released a large amount of monsters from around the tower. When you walk into the main lobby, the intro video is is affected, showing a rotating cluster of clips from the original video, tower staff roaming the hallways and stairwells with safety vests and nets, and static. When you reach the collector's office, Rocket is still there, and he tells you that now you need to help him find Groot, who got lost during the mission, colon, breakout, exclamation point. Uh, You and your fellow visitors are now bait for the monsters hunting Groot. Uh, if you aren't enamored with the little guy like most of us are, this may come as an unwelcome surprise. If you have a soul, you'll be fine with this exchange for Groot's life. The setup for Monsters is very similar. Uh, it doesn't contain quite the variation of the original ride, but the video. So the videos are the same each time you go through. Uh, you get to see the escape of Groot from the fire d- dragon seen in Thor Ragnarok uh, with uh, Rocket helping out. All is well in the end. You escape, uh, but you had a lot of fun listening to a metal song composed by 
the original composer from the Guardians movies. Um, and uh, as you leave this time, intrepid cast members roam the halls wearing disheveled safety vests and wielding butterfly nets. Uh, if you are someone named Christy, you might just have to resist punching a cast member as they jump, jump around the corner shouting at you. Mm. It's kind of like Fright Fest or uh, Horror Nights experiences, but it's a lot more tame because it's Disney, um, unless you're easily startled like people who might be named Christy. So you don't, and you're not, the ride isn't set to Monster Mash. It is oh, not set to Monster oh Mash. Lord. And it's the worst no. for it. It's all the worst <laughs> for it. But but Tyler Tyler Vest uh, wrote another song. It's a heavy metal song called Monsters After Dark. And uh, it's pretty great. And it, dare I say, it makes the ride more extreme. Ooh. So it, <laughs> so is it, um, right? <laughs> I was going to have one ready too. Um, is that an, an original song for this ride? It was written for this ride. Nice. Yes. Uh, question um and to to the honorable terence um you already got the point D- how much time does it take to overlay this is it just like clicking a button and new screens pop up or does it shut down like honda mansion uh they shut it down for approximately um like 10 minutes every <laughs> night <laughs> So it's okay. like the laziest it's, overlay ever then is what you're saying. It's they 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 they're flipping a switch so the videos change, the ride changes, all the cast members change their clothes. They, you know, run the line out and they let people back in a few minutes later with uh spooky lights and they stuff. press e- eject on the giant Betamax and they That's right. get out the other one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they put blow a new on one it in. like yeah. it's a Nintendo cartridge. Now, so what you you're saying is lost the point. Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 let me let me let me argue that the 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 entire purpose behind this is to say not only is this is this a fun overlay for a ride that they clearly planned from the start. Like we can we can do this. The idea is they have the potential to continue changing this over time very easily. So so okay. adding more content. To say Eric and and first of all it, what you what I'm hearing you say is I can ride Mission Breakout normal exclamation the, the, at 5 o'clock and then at 6 o'clock it's a different ride. Correct. And that's also to say that the actors were filming these show scenes while filming Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So that means they had the foresight to film this other extra footage. Well, that's that's the question I have. Is that we hear Groot and we hear Rocket? Are they the only members of the Guardians of the Galaxy that are featured in this, along with monsters? Or do you have you know Gamora and Star Lord and all of and Drax? Are they in there as well? In the in the Monsters After Dark portion, it is only Groot and Rocket. Oh, so okay, they did. So that's know. it's animation then. It's that's, yeah. Well, yeah. it's actually it's Bradley CGI. Cooper and Vin Diesel in uh, character costumes in this case. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> like high school <laughs> high school production level. You get like cut out for <laughs> painted the painted face. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I know we have we're up against the clock. So um, you, you got the point up. on that. Any thoughts on that, uh, Terrence? Yeah, that weakens it a lot. That's horrible. Um, that's actually really, really horrible. I, I'm actually um, offended. Uh, and I well, you I always almost, have the option of punishing him by giving the other one a point. 
Ooh. I want to punish whoever came up with it. Like I, I this is Eric's fault. <laughs> wow. Like this is some Imagineer needs to be working at Burger King at this point because anyone that said, yeah, we should green light that. Oh, I don't know about that. So did, did wow. anyone actually experience this? Because they don't run anymore. I correct? love it. No, no, they, they're still doing it every, every, well, they have been doing it every Halloween season, um, or spooky season as they're calling it now. Oh, um, yeah, I, it's been there every year and I, I really enjoy it. Okay. To each their own. Yeah. That's my response oh, to you, wow. Eric. <laughs> you reach for that brass ring and you talk about how you like brass rings and Terrence says, no, I prefer, uh, I prefer silver rings. Exactly. Uh, you took a chance. Ring. So, yeah, I guess if you didn't learn anything from my uh, original, you know, know when to say when. <laughs> know when to- <laughs> I know. That's, that's, that's big with the show. I, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so so let's move on quickly to the uh, the sort of the land impact. And there are two points that I want to make for the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Point number one is and speaking of points, just so we're keeping track, we are now tied with two tied. and two. Okay. Um. Yeah. Next time, uh, Terrence, you might want to throw out some more points. <laughs> more willy nilly with this. I'm sorry. Um, well, I was trying. I'm trying to be conservative. No, you, you know, I don't yeah, want to no, be like you, 101 you can, to 102. So you can totally do <laughs> totally do that if you want. Okay. It's so all then I'm going to. I'm no. Hold on, real quick, Jimmy. I'm going to give you two points because you have. Uh, two different uh, number one you were the original tower of terror plus the vvc from tower of terror was used in uh disneyland and disney world for uh rise of the resistance so i'm going to give you two points uh, sweet earmuffs Aaron. real quick spontaneous emotional response i know i'm sorry <laughs> just play it once okay thank you I, yeah I, yeah <laughs> And Eric, I am going to give you uh, two points because of the fact that uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, quote unquote, whatever, your whatever punctuation marks you want in there, um, because of the fact that they are using figment, and I did not know that. Um, yeah. And then also because the gold tower, every time I see the gold tower, it makes me laugh because it thinks about makes me think about when Tomorrowland was gold and everyone thought it was horrible. That tower <laughs> looks horrible, but it makes me laugh. So you get a point Thank for that. Popping, y'all. Goodbye, Mary still <laughs> tied. Right. Um, so okay. still tied. So <laughs> I want to. I it's want intentional, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I want to point out. That there are there are two things that this ride does well the the attraction two of the many things so number one the impact of Sunset Boulevard it does its job as acting as a weenie it draws you into the land it fits very well with the architecture within this 1930s 1940s era Los Angeles of Sunset Boulevard right so it does that simultaneously. Because it's 199 feet tall, which is the second tallest attraction, just about a half foot shorter than Animal Kingdom's Everest, the upper half of Tower of Terror is clearly visible in Epcot. So what they did is they have designed the tower to not only fit in with Sunset Boulevard, but it's also exact style of Morocco, the pavilion Morocco. So when you look at Morocco... One of the towers that blends perfectly in with the Morocco skyline is the Tower of Terror. So not only does it impact what's going on at at uh, Hollywood Studios, it also impacts what's going on at Epcot. And that is powerful because it's affecting two completely different theme parks at the same time. 
Can I add something real quick? I and I'm I'm uh, agnostic on either of these. It acts as a weenie, but isn't it a dead end? Yeah, it's meant to be because people died, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dead end for those Whoa. five guests in the elevator. It's on purpose. Okay. <laughs> what what is so, Imagine, imagine you aren't. <laughs> well, okay. To be fair, Guardians was a dead end, mm-hmm. or, or when it was Tower of Terror. But, uh, and I agree, it might not work as well as a weenie, but it also isn't at a dead. Well, I mean, it is now because of construction, but it isn't at a dead end. I just well, feel it's like it's weird to have a weenie and then say like, okay, you turn. Yeah. Or left or right, go to Fantasmic, go to a rock and roller coaster. I, don't, I mean, it's a junction. I wouldn't say it's a dead end. Okay, that's fair. I just it, it was just a thought. I'm not. I'm honestly not trying to make an argument for one or the other. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. But I mean, I mean Terrence, California. you're the one judging. So if there's something that you have from that, uh, no, no, I'll, I'll I'll speak my piece in a minute. I want to hear all okay. the arguments first. Okay. Okay. Now back to the jury box, sir. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, Jimmy, do you have do you have more to add? No, I think that was it. The, the main okay. point was of how it not only impacts Hollywood Studios and Sunset, but also Epcot and Morocco. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, now the we have a similar a similar issue with uh, with Mission Breakout. Uh, it's it's still something that doesn't quite fit in. It never quite fit in when it was a derelict tower, and now that it's a strange alien tower, it also doesn't quite fit in. It doesn't bring you to a dead end uh, anymore because for a while, Bugs Land connected it. Now again, as Dan pointed out, it it, it is temporarily a dead end. Uh, but we're we're looking forward to a future impact where we can hope. That when you're approaching it from the right direction into the Avengers campus, this weenie will look uh, like it it belongs. Finally, yeah. we've seen pictures of the new the new Quinjet in the middle of the former Bugs Land. Mm-hmm. We know that this whole campus is coming. It's supposed to be New Yorky, perhaps. I'm I'm not entirely certain, but there's going to be all sorts of other weird buildings in there. I'm certainly hoping that in the near future, from a certain point of view, this will not look so out of place yeah and maybe it'll act impact on the land maybe it'll act as an anchor rather than a anomaly when you have and the that's what campus. the purpose is yeah that's what the purpose is right is to be an anchor yeah which it's currently not it's not oh, it's under construction all right it, it was ahead of its time yeah that's fair um and if you want to it, let, let's let's get in another um another epcot reference because this ride believe it or not does have a connection to Epcot, current What's day Epcot. Uh, well, it does have Figment, so now there, there are two connections to Epcot. You're right. Uh, the second, Jimmy, when you were in Epcot, did you? I, I'm not sure they they probably haven't reopened it. Um, have you heard or read about or seen anything of the the new Epcot experience in the former Odyssey restaurant? I have seen it several times. Okay. Oh well, yeah, you you were that you were down there last year. Um, in that, it's currently that, open, by the way. Oh, okay, nice. Um, in that wonderfully air-conditioned room, you see a, a rotating video of upcoming attractions, and in that, you you 
I'm sure many people know that there's a, a Guardians attraction coming to Epcot soon. In that video, you see a a representative of the Nova Corps talking about the their new attraction that they're bringing to Epcot, and the then the video is interrupted by Rocket plugging a saying let's get this party started mm-hmm. he plugs in a walkman using the same exact video from <laughs> from it, the uh guardians of the galaxy tower and then everyone yep. dances yeah actually tons of baby groots dance yes it's a bit of a stretch um <laughs> yes and the idea of guardians uh uh mission rewind i want to say i think that's right it's a revert it's a reverse launch coaster, and it's in the former Ellen's Energy Adventure Pavilion. Stupid Judy. Stupid Judy. And um, the idea was that Peter Quill went to Epcot once as a kid, and that's why it's there. Mm-hmm. So I think that takes away from your point. Detracts <laughs> 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 hey, from your argument. That's, that's future, okay? Anyway, all right. Terrence? Okay, so, um, Wow. We're tied, which is good, um, and I believe that both rides are great. Mm-hmm. That that's it. That's all I have. No, um, so I believe both <laughs> rides are great. Hi, everybody. No, um, well, how are you? Are you stuck with that? Or no, I'm not. Oh, I'm not. I okay. have. I have okay. a response. Okay. Um, oh. So when I look at it, if we're looking at at the queue, if we're looking at the history, if we're looking at uh, the ride, you know, we've, we've, we've covered that, but now what I, what I really need to look at is, um, longevity and flexibility of a ride. Okay. And so if I look at a ride that is stuck in a, a time period, I look at a ride that is stuck in an extinct IP, or I look at a ride that is an anchor for an entire land that is based around a a thriving IP, I have to ask myself which one is going to be more popular, which one is going to have more longevity, which one relevance. is going to have more relevance in the future. That's a, that's a very good point. And it's, in my opinion, is obviously Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. They already have the ability to do a t- an overlay that takes them 10 minutes to set up uh, they can shoot constantly shoot videos and make the videos work with with what they have in there. They can um, introduce other members of the Marvel IP to the ride. Um, so I think that that's that's great as far as uh, the how much fl- how fluid uh, it is, how how relevant it'll be in the future. So, so are you saying, Terrence? That go ahead, Dan. Guardians of the Galaxy is the supreme tower ride so so if i if i am taking everything into account yep i would say that guardians of the galaxy is the supreme tower ride i'm very popping y'all goodbye my puppies well there you have it everybody terrence you make a very good point you know tower or twilight zone and there are generations of people who can appreciate broken glasses in a lobby and and, and, and everything I mentioned, but there's a generation of people that are, are coming of age and are starting to have children who don't know anything about it and don't care. Yeah. At that point, it's just a thrill ride. Whereas with guardians, it's incredibly relevant and will be arguably for the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. And like you said, because of the technology, what they've implemented with the screens and everything else is that it's constantly evolving 
and it can become anything they want it to be so long as they have actors or computers that can make it so. And you right. still have that thrill of a, of a free fall ride, right? Correct. <clears throat> so I totally get it. I fully understand. And I would like to just suggest that The Tower of Terror is a made-for-TV film from 1996. <laughs> Steve Printing Press Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> and young star Kirsten Dunst. This was a breakout role for Kirsten, who was nominated for a Young Artist Award for Best Performance in the TV movie pilot miniseries Leading Young Actress, The Plot. A disgraced reporter investigates an abandoned luxury hotel where five people mysteriously disappeared 60 years earlier. Some reviews. One of Disney's better films. Nice to learn the full story of the ride. And 10 out of 10. Hysterical, exactly what you would expect from a film starring Steve Gutenberg. Good for the kids, bad for Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yep, yep, yep. That, very well done, Terrence. I thought, I thought, I think you made some sound arguments. I thought for sure at one point that Guardians would win. Then I thought for sure at one point that Tower of Terror would win. And I think you came to the right decision. I was on Thank the edge you. of my seat. Yeah, it was good. You did that very well, and you're welcome back <laughs> anytime. Um, the screams that you hear, and I don't know if this is true for both, but the screams that you hear from the ride, uh, many of them are canned and they're piped in. So mm-hmm. you can hear if you listen long enough that the same screams over and over again, mm. you kind of invoke that error. Uh, Terrence can't thank you enough for doing this. I know this has been a long time coming. This is one ride that you wanted to be a judge on and we really appreciate you doing it and taking your time. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure, and I want you guys to know from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate everything you guys do uh, for Ears Up as an umbrella, but you guys have a fantastic show, and it has been my pleasure to be on here. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it again. That wasn't the question. I'm going awesome. to do it Thank again. You. Thank nice. you. We look forward to that. We have quite a few more shows. Uh, next time, let's do uh, one that you've actually done. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, well played, sir. Well played. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed what you hear or you didn't and you want to say something, please email us. That's Jimmy at earsup-podcast.com, Dan at earsup-podcast.com, Terrence, that's T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E at earsup-podcast.com. Uh, show suggestions. I got to get you on that, uh, Terrence, before you hang up. Um, and then uh, Eric at ejohnson at concierge.com. Uh, follow Jeremy at Spectro underscore radio for both Instagram and Twitter. Listen to Spectro Radio. It's fantastic. That's SpectroRadio.us. Join us for game nights. It's most Wednesdays. Join our Facebook group to find out when those are. Uh, listen to our other shows. That's Ears Up, Ears Up In Depth, Banter, Beskar, and Bantha Milk, which is a Mandalorian Star Wars podcast. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram, review, comment, just tell us what you think. We have, we're having a great time. We think we're doing something right, but please uh, continue to let us know how you feel about it. And uh, until next time, be kind. Oh, sorry. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. By the way, listen to Scraping the Vault. That's a great show. We just released the, uh, what was it? It's uh, an extremely goofy goofy movie. Goofy movie. We get a little raunchy over there, but there's some uh, cover up. But the extremely goofy movie on uh, the Scraping the Vault show. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, be kind to each other. Be good. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. 